Hello, you mindful mamas, and welcome back to another episode of the Enlightened Hood Podcast, where I share real motherhood stories and empower the soul of the mother through mindfulness and spirituality. I'm your host, Lena Lemos. Today is the perfect episode to share with anyone in your life who is still on the fence about mindfulness. I am chatting with internal medicine resident physician, Bethany Jenjik, and Bethany shares a lot of powerful studies that show how mindfulness actually works and can help us heal. And I also think it's important for someone who's been frustrated over and over again with the medical community and care that it gives me so much hope to see that someone in the medical community does understand the power of mindfulness and is helped making a difference through her patients' lives and that the framework for mindfulness in medicine is changing. So here's Bethany. I guess I'm really interested to know if, so you've gone through medical school and did you learn anything about the importance of mindfulness throughout any point in your medical schooling? No, to be honest with you, no one really talked to us about mindfulness. Um, There was discussions about like, you know, making sure you're getting enough like sleep, you know, take care of your hygiene, like get exercise, but nothing ever about mindfulness. So then when did you turn to mindfulness? Um, So honestly, the biggest time for me was transitioning from my first year of residency to second year of residency. So um, training in internal medicine, you start off as an intern and you rely a lot on your seniors to help you out. So, I mean, it's a stressful job, but you have someone kind of there to back you up. And, um, you know, it was stressful for sure, but I never really felt like super, super like weighted by everything that I didn't know, like kind of where to turn to or what to do. And then when I transitioned into my second year of medical school, or I'm sorry, of residency, it was just, I mean, it was completely different. You become the senior resident, you have to make all the decisions, like you have to stand firm by them. And I actually started off in the intensive care unit as like a fresh senior resident. And um, that combined with you know, trying to balance home life and being a mom as well, I became super overwhelmed. And my husband has been in some mindfulness and like meditation and yoga for like a very long time before, like I had really turned to it. And I kind of like asked him to tell me more about it. And, um, you know, started practicing mindfulness with him during my second year of residency. And, um, I mean, it was challenging at first to really kind of just be in the moment and just um, be present and aware of like my thoughts and feelings and not and learning like not to react to them and just like kind of clearing my mind, which is not something that you're used to doing in medicine because you, I mean, you're using your brain all day. Mm -hmm. So after I started that, I really started to notice um, like an impact in my mood and like my anxiety and just feeling more calm when I'm at work and more just like confident in my skills at work and making decisions and not being so stressed out all the time. And then I, I was just really, I mean, it's something that changes you so much. You kind of want to share it with other people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been trying to do that, um, like encouraging self-care and mindfulness on Instagram now, which has been cool as well. But also sometimes it gets a little busy and you still have to take a step back and start, you know, 
taking care of yourself um, and not overdoing everything as well. So um, that's kind of where, where I ended up and where I'm at now. So how did it affect you being a resident? Um, yeah, like the mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. So I even utilize it at work, to be honest with you, because days can get really stressful. And this, this talk actually comes kind of timely because yesterday I, it was a a pretty crazy day at work. Um, you know, I had just talked to a patient in the morning with my intern and the patient was doing very well. Um, and then we left to go see another patient and about maybe like five, 10 minutes later, you hear overhead that they called, um, a rapid response, which means something happened in the patient's condition. Um, we need to go back to reevaluate it. So we went on our way back thinking, you know, we just saw this patient, everything was fine. And, um, we just see all of a sudden, like a bunch of nurses are just doing CPR in this patient. And we tried our absolute best to resuscitate him. And unfortunately the end was that he passed away. And in that moment, I just like knew, like I came up to my call room. I just like closed my eyes, really just like centered myself and started doing some like deep breathing exercises and just like really trying to like calm down from it. And if I didn't like not used to doing that, like from these past months, I think it really would have been harder to kind of handle that situation. I was able to take a step back, kind of like, first of all, clear my mind a little bit, just take some deep breaths and then really just process each emotion that like I'm feeling and being like, you know, right now I'm you feel a, a myriad of multiple emotions in that type of scenario. So to be able to just sit there and sort all of those out and um, kind of regroup before I went back to work the rest of the day was amazing. And so being able to utilize it in those types of situations, it helps me in residency so much. Mm. Wow. So does it change at all the way you interact with patients or what you suggest to them in terms of care? Absolutely. And um, it's because there's actually a lot of research that's going on right now that's showing the benefits of mindfulness. Um, So actually, um, there's about 30 years ago, there was a doctor, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. He is out of uh, Massachusetts. And he actually developed a mindfulness-based stress reduction program. Um, it's about eight weeks long. You do uh, like a class each week, um, about two and a half hours, and then one all day weekend session from like 9am to 3pm, um, teaching you um, mindfulness and meditative techniques. And there's actually a lot of research that's coming out to show how mindfulness impacts not only like our psychological health, but also our physical health as well. So, you know, um, just for like an example, there is a study, um, I forgot what year it had come out in, but it looked at two different groups of, um, they were the same. They all had like heart disease, but they randomized them into two different groups. One that went through this, um, you know, mindfulness eight week course, and then one that just got regular treatment. And of course the one, the group that went through mindfulness training as well also still took all the medications and stuff like that. But they saw that at the end of this study that those who had this cardiac history 
um, their blood pressure improved, their weight had improved, you know, in combination with like anxiety and depression. So, I mean, it's really interesting that it's becoming more prominent in the medical community and seeing that this actually has an impact on us physiologically and not just psychologically. Mm-hmm. Have you working with patients, have you noticed a difference or are you, well, actually, let me ask you first, are you still getting pushback from patients who just think it's baloney? Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, this is, <laughs> this is so new. And, you know, even when, you know, for people who have like depression or anxiety, our first line of treatment that we recommend anyway is like cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. Um, and even that people are hesitant to do, right? Because they think, you know, just give me a pill and I'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it really would be great if people actually tried that out. And now with this mindfulness um, coming in, you know, a lot of people, I don't think they take it seriously. They look at it yeah. as like, okay, I'm going to be like doing deep breathing, like big whoop. How is that really going to help me? Um, so having these studies to back us up to say that there is like actual benefit to this helps us. But I think it's going to take um, some time to see a shift in patients, you know, trusting this and wanting to do this for themselves. Yeah. So it's funny you bring that up. So I was about CBT because I was talking to my sister last night because she works at the university or sorry, she works at UPMC in Pittsburgh. She's a social worker on the eating disorder floor. And we were talking last night about mindfulness and she was telling me how they use more of D, what is it? DBT instead of CBT, which which almost takes more of a Buddhist approach in terms of your thoughts and mindfulness, which I just thought was fascinating that it it is kind of being implemented in some way into these Mm -hmm. hospitals with patients. I think so. And I wish I could speak to DBT more. I can't speak to that too much. Um, I know more about CBT, but I do know that it's, um, a method and technique that they do utilize a lot as well. Um, and you hear really great like benefits from it, really good things from it. Um, so that's interesting that you say that. And you said, I'm sorry, you had broken up your, your sister. She, she's a nurse there or she's a social worker. Yeah. And does she see a lot of, um, like, does she see improvement in like these patients when they're doing this type of work? I think so. So she started in April, but she has, she was talking last night about how amazing it is. The diff, the contrast she's seen between the two, because she was a um, cognitive psychology major. So of course, mm-hmm. CBT was her bread and butter, but now working in her role now as a social worker and focusing more on DBT, they're really implementing more of the whole mindfulness approach, which is also mm-hmm. ironic because I've been trying this is the nicest way to say this, but push mindfulness on her for the past like <laughs> three years. And it's so funny. And I always tell her this. She's like, yes, I know because I'm a social worker. I'm like, I know, but are you going to do it yourself? So <laughs> well, you that's so funny because I was kind of the same way. I mean, when my husband was doing this, and, you know, I would be stressed out, like studying for medical school and stuff. He would be like, you, know, you should really try this. You should really do this. Like, this mm-hmm. is very beneficial. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it sounds nice. You know, like 
maybe I should, but like, I don't have time right now, you know, like I I need to keep going and keep going and keep going. And then when you, you kind of hit a wall and like, I can't keep going anymore. You realize actually to take that time to slow down and take that time for myself take care of myself is so important because, you know, and I've heard a a couple of uh, women say this on your, your podcast, you know, if you are not taking care of yourself, how are you going to take care of other people? Mm -hmm. Like, and as women, like we hold this role of like caretaker, right? Like we take care of our kids and like, obviously our husbands are, you know, or your partner are adults, but like, you still want to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And so, and for people, I mean, especially for me in the medical field, like these patients I see every day, like if I'm not at my best, like I can't be at my best for taking care of them, you know? So just really investing that time for yourself is so important. And I think some women feel guilty about doing that, but I mean, once you actually do it and see the results from it, like, you know, you can't be guilty about it. You see how much better you can do every day. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. You said you felt at first that you didn't have enough time for it, but did you also approach it with caution just because from a medical standpoint, you've just been trained to be science focused and evidence based? Mm, um, a little bit, you know, like I kind of approach everything with caution. Like I didn't think that it would like hurt me by any means or anything like that, or that it's like, I mean, I think my hesitancy was like, is this actually going to work for me? Mm. Or am I just wasting my time? Um, Because I have all this stuff to do, like, is this really going to be beneficial? And, you know, once I like wholeheartedly was in it, um, and not just kind of like faking it to making it like once I actually put myself like, fully into doing this is when I like reaped the benefits of it. And I think that's what like people should know is like, if you're like, it's something that you should definitely consider. You should definitely try, but make sure like your, your heart is in it. And like, you like believe it's going to work for you, right? Anything you go into thinking it's not going to work for you. Like you're just going into it with like a negative mindset. It probably won't. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think people are hearing more about it. And I, th- I think that's why this podcast is great because it really highlights like all these, these people coming together saying like, Hey, like I struggled. I, you know, mm-hmm. came into mindfulness and it worked for me, yeah. you know? And I also love that it's just not a one size fits all approach either. Oh, a hundred percent. There's so many different ways to do it. And like, I think I talk a lot about what I do just cause it works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's even like apps that you can download on your phone mm-hmm. that give you different techniques on how to engage in mindfulness, which is so important. Everyone's so different and not one thing is going to work for everyone. Yeah. I think with talking to all these women and hearing everyone's story, there has been a few constants and that there's, well, there's been two very strong constants. The first is just taking time for yourself each day. And that can involve meditation, exercise, just sitting with your thoughts. And then the second was gratitude and just having a grateful Mm -hmm. mindset. That is so true because I mean, we live in a society that just like, we're almost trained to want more and more and more Mm -hmm. and more. Learning to just be content with what you have. And like you said, gratitude 
is so important. I I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And it's just fascinating. And even something, two things that are so simple can have just such a tremendous effect on your well-being and just sense of self. Yeah, that honestly, that is so true. And we actually see it also. Um, do you mind if I share another study with oh, you? No, I don't think do. it's so science-based, but it just really, when I was looking into all of this, I was thinking, you know, we see that as helping people. We see these impacts and depression, anxiety, all this like physiologically with blood pressure, heart rate. Um, but what is actually going on like in our brain to like, mm-hmm. to see how this is actually shifting. And, um, there was an article that had shown, um, they use something called EEGs where they put like electrodes on your head and measure your brain activity. Um, they usually, they use it a lot in neurology, like to measure seizure activity and such. Um, but again, they took these people and put them in two different categories. And one got the, you know, the meditative uh, techniques, mindfulness, and the other group didn't. Um, and they did that for some time and did an EEG before and after that. And um, afterwards, they saw that there was a significant increase in this part of the brain. They called it left-sided anterior activation. And that side of the brain is actually associated with like positive mood, positive emotion. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really interesting that like, you know, when people say it's working, it's because there's something in your brain that's actually responding to this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, And when you have that positive mood, like then you can really open up your eyes and, and be gracious for everything you have. You can be content because it's like, you're just, I don't know, you're in a better mood. You're grateful for everything. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And please throw any science at me that you want, because I think (laughs) it's so important, especially for people kind of on that borderline who aren't sure and may think that it's either silly or just are giving into all the stigmas about mindfulness. I think the the science and the research that's coming out about it is what's really going to help shift everything. Well, I think so. A hundred percent. I mean, some of the stuff that I was just finding when I was looking, looking it up, I didn't even know, you know, like I knew that it helped with depression and anxiety. It was interesting to see that part of the brain light up, but there's even like studies that talk about, um, you know, that one part of the brain that's activating has to do with, um, is even involved in immunity Mm. and how it can help. Um, again, in this, the same study that looked at that brain activation after they did this mindfulness, they gave each of those groups uh, a flu vaccine. And they saw that those who did the mindfulness, the antibodies to that vaccine were actually in higher titers than those who didn't have mindfulness. And their argument was that this makes sense because this part of the brain is related to um, activating these immune cells to cause this immunity. So it's just like, there's so many things going on. It's happening at the level of the brain. It's happening at a molecular level that I I think it's once the, like you said, the stigma is kind of, um, or these studies will help to reduce the stigma. So people actually engage in it more. Yeah. I mentioned this in one of my uh, earlier podcasts, but have you seen the heel documentary on Netflix? I haven't, I heard about it. 
I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. I highly recommend it because it's exactly what we're talking about. But there's this man who worked uh, very high up in the chemistry department for one of these pharmaceutical companies who made um, medicine like for chemotherapy and for cancer. Mm -hmm. And he said that he walked away from this amazing high paying job because he saw in the research groups how well the placebo group was doing when they thought they were getting this medicine and how powerful the mind can be in helping cancer and that it was almost equal in terms of people who were getting the treatment and people who weren't. And once he saw that, he's like, there's something else here and I have to go find it. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is so true. And I think that's why they call it the placebo effect, Mm -hmm. right? There's, if you think it's going to help you somehow your like Mm -hmm. brain interacts physiologically with your body that it actually, you know, it feels like it's helped you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's pretty it's it's fascinating. I really need to to spend yeah. time in watching that. One of the main guys in it also, he was um a mar- or no, a triathlon athlete and during the bicycling bicycling bicycle yeah. I have no idea how to say that word. Um during oh, cycling. Is that <laughs> My brain does not work today. I would have said the same thing bicycling. <laughs> so during that part of the race, he got hit by a car going 55 miles an hour and was paralyzed. And they told him, I think he was a doctor and they told him that you can get this spine surgery and he said for any of my patients I would have recommended that they get the surgery, but he decided to spend however many hours a day, just visualizing his vertebrae healing themselves. And he did it for six months. And he said, if I can walk again, then I will dedicate my entire life to teaching people how they can heal their body with mindfulness. And he ended up walking again. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. So you have to... powerful tool. Yes. So watch the documentary. And then I'm also um, reading right now, Becoming Superhuman by Joe Dispenza. Have you heard of that book? I have not heard of that one. It's basically the same thing, but it's all about the the power of the brain and how you can change the dimensions that you're in and heal your body and really just become superhuman when you understand that the way that the brain works. Yes. And there's so much of the brain that we, we don't even understand yet. Mm -hmm. Like so many different parts of it. So I'm not surprised that there's these stories of these people who, you know, have really utilized mindfulness to accomplish healing. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like you said, so I'm in a field that's based all, you know, evidence-based medicine is, is big. I mean, it's, it's, it's evidence-based, right? They did studies on it. This is what it shows. But it's it's so hard to do studies um, on, on stuff like that. But then it, again, it's like, how can you dispute this? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how are you going to dispute this person's story of this is what they did and this is what worked for them? You know, yeah. it worked for that person. There's something behind it. Like you have to investigate. You have to do your own research further. Yeah. I think it's it's been hard for me as now as I'm practicing mindfulness and have been reading all these studies about the correlation between deep-rooted emotions and how they manifest in the body and then mm-hmm. just going to the doctor and then kind of just prescribing pills to put a Band-Aid on it. 
And do you, yeah. do you see that changing at all in the medical community? Well, I think that we're really trying and I do mainly inpatient medicine. So, um, we see frequently, um, that people are coming in with these, these symptoms that kind of don't line up with like the lab work that we're getting or the imaging. And, you know, for example, someone comes in with like, you know, really bad abdominal pain, uh, maybe some like nausea, um, maybe they coming, they're coming in with diarrhea or constipation and you do the entire workup and everything comes back negative. You know, we are moving towards being like, okay, is this like you were saying, like psychosomatic, Mm -hmm. is there something, you know, going on anxiety, depression, PTSD, what, what may, whatever you may have, like, is that manifesting physically because it's documented, we see it, we call it psycho, you know, psychosomatic. Um, but what we see is a lot of patients getting pushed back kind of on that diagnosis of, you know, sometimes they feel like we're calling them crazy or something like that. When it's, I wish people wouldn't think like that. Like, no, what you're, we're not saying that what you're feeling isn't real. What you're feeling is real, but what we're saying is the cause of it is something psychological. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you know, a lot of people want like a pill to help them. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to educate people that know like this, okay, this medication may help alleviate your symptoms, but it's not going to erase the cause, which may be something psychological related that you could address through mindfulness that you could address through CBT. You know, there are, you know, certain limits that you, you draw where you have to start like a, an antidepressant or anti-anxiolytic of that sort. Um, but I think people should be more aware of that, that sometimes the symptoms can actually be related to your psyche and not just something physical. Mm. Yeah. It, and it's so hard because of course we, we want instant relief and instant gratitude, right? To these issues. Yeah. So Exactly. And, and mindfulness, it takes some time, mm-hmm. you know? Like that's why this doctor had um, developed this eight week course because it's not something that you just do one time and, you know, and that's it. You know, it's something that you make a habit of and that's how things get better and that's how things change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important for people like you who are in the medical community and understand the benefits of it and can really have that honest conversation with patients and really start to help make that change and implement it into our medical system. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And it's, you know, I see a lot of, I think, the younger doctors kind of leaning towards more of like mindfulness. It's I think it it has to be a shift in the entire medical community as well, because you still have, you know, some physicians who believe that, you know, there may be nothing to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have other ones, you know, I guess I would fit into the other category, obviously, of no, there actually is something there's research on it. It's something worth considering, you know, even our, um, our program, like our residency program last year, they, for a whole year, they had a, I think he was a, a counselor 
who would meet with um, us in small groups. And like for an hour, we would just kind of like talk about everything, maybe like what we're feeling, what's going on, um, you know, just kind of vent. But then the last, I think it was like 20, 30 minutes would be like a mindfulness technique. And I I thought it was interesting that there was another program in our hospital, like a family medicine program who was doing kind of similar things and they had seen some good results from it. So they tried it with us as well. So I think that's a positive sign also that Mm -hmm. residency programs are trying to help their residents out with mindfulness because they see something to it. And then you hope that the residents benefit something from that so then they can explain it to their patients as well. Mm-hmm. I think the trickle down effect. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I think it will take some time, but I think as more research comes out and um, like the new generations of doctors are coming in, I, I think it'll become more of a thing. And you, you're hearing about it more too. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was in medical school, I mean, I graduated just a couple of years ago. I really hadn't heard of mindfulness at all besides my husband, but he like, he's always on the internet reading and seeing things. So I wasn't like surprised that he knew about it way before I even like considered it or started hearing about it in like mainstream media stuff. Yeah. And it's just, I guess maybe that was before all the studies came out when you were in medical school, but I guess it does give me hope that at least it's being implemented into residency programs now. Yeah, it is. And there's even research articles on how, um, how these pro like they actually did research on whether it's like a statistically significant difference in the residents, like performance and mood, um, before and after implementing mindfulness. And a lot of them show improvement. Um, so I mean, there's something to it. We can't just slide it under the table and say, it's not something to consider. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And now the science is starting to back it up for anyone who's on the fence. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, one more article to throw at you actually that I found, and I'm just going through my papers that I have right here because there was so much that I found. I was like, this is really interesting. I want to mention this. So I just want people to know that this is like actually a thing. So, um, they did a study of people who have type two diabetes and you know it's a chronic condition it has a lot of different um a lot of different bad things that can happen essentially if you're not taking care of it um and they i mean this was a very small study so it doesn't really have much power to it um but there was like some 14 patients that they um did like a mindfulness program and they measured something called a hemoglobin A1C, which is how we kind of measure if someone's diabetes is doing well or not doing well. Um, And so it's, let me just give you like a number. So anything, um, so if someone's diabetic, we want their hemoglobin A1C to be less than 7%. And every time you read it, it could be like 7.1, 7.2, like, there's always like a a decimal number after it. So this showed that one month after doing like mindfulness, 11 of the the 14 patients, their A1C was reduced by 0.48%. So almost like half a percentage point, which is like, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And once again, like just 
you know, prefacing that with, you know, it's a smaller study, you need to have like a bigger study to have, you know, more power to it. But I mean, these are pilot studies that are coming out in preparation to do bigger studies. Um, and to see that it can help chronic conditions such as diabetes that are, is associated with a lot of um, clinical conditions that, you know, essentially hurt the patient if they don't take care of them, like kidney disease, uh, vascular disease, heart disease, all of this. So to see that mindfulness can even help with that. I mean, that's, it's pretty crazy. You never really thought it, something like that would be beneficial to these chronic conditions either, but it is. Yeah. And it's, it really is mind blowing that especially just because it takes such a shift from everything we've been taught almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, especially in Chicago, right? I mean, I'm in the city most of the time because I work here, but it's so fast paced, like all the time, like we're always taught that time is money, money is time, right? So it's such a contrast to just like take that time for yourself, take that time for mindfulness, for meditation, whatever whatever it is that you need to do to slow down for that time and just be, you know, present. Like absolutely take that time and do it and don't be guilty about it. Yeah, that was really well said and almost... You'd, you can continue on with what you just said or said something completely different, but I always like to end this podcast with just words of encouragement for anyone out there who maybe is still on the fence about mindfulness or just needs that extra push to really go, you know, fully jump in. So what are your words of wisdom to end on? I would say, um, you know, if you're new to it, like there may be some hesitation hesitancy to it um but just keep going with it like i said like it's a habit to form and anything that we're forming as a habit you have to do it continuously so just know that we we all started off on the same thing um it all for all of us it took some time to get to that place where we're at right now and just keep going there's a light at the end of the tunnel um and don't give up Thank you for listening to the Enlightened Podcast, a movement that empowers mindful motherhood and celebrates every journey. If you would like to be part of our community of amazing and soulful women, find us on Instagram at Enlightenedhood. For real motherhood stories and inspirational articles, you can check us out online at enlightenedhood.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, you mindful mamas.